Hey everyone, welcome back to the second season of Trail Talks. We hope that you enjoyed our first season as much as we did putting it together. This is the first episode of season two. In this episode, we will be talking to Jack Jones, better known as Quadzilla on the trail. We were excited to have him on the pod to talk about his adventures on what seemed to be every trail known to man this past year. He's completed the AT, CDT, Oregon Coast Trail, bike packed from Mexico to Canada, and so much more. He also just won a 106 mile ultra run through the desert. In this episode, we talk about how to deal with post-trail depression, the necessity of changing unhealthy lifestyle choices, and how difficult times are impermanent. We hope you enjoy our conversations with Quadzilla. It's Trail Talks. It's season two. We're here just for you. <laughs> that was terrible. Oh my god. Um, as you can tell, our inspiration is Eminem and Snoop Dogg. Welcome back. I was thinking Drake, but that works too. Is Drake the best rapper? You tell us. Drop it down in the comments. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season two of Trail Talks. We Yay! are back and better than ever. Hope you guys have been enjoying the promotions. We are very excited to talk to our first season two guest today. He is a badass. Who is he? Quadzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Do I describe him? Yeah. So Quadzilla <laughs> started his hiking journey on the Appalachian Trail. And from there, he jumped onto the CDT. He bike packed from Mexico to Canada, fought fires in Montana, started a southbound of the PCT, hopped on the Oregon Coast Trail, jumped on the Colorado Trail, and finished on the CDT all while crushing watermelons with his thighs. Oh my gosh. We are so excited to talk to him. Oh yeah. Make sure to check us out on Spotify. These episodes are going on after they air, so you can listen to us in audio podcast form. Also, if you want to check us out on what we're doing over in Korea, mm -hmm. go over to our YouTube. We're posting our hikes there. And Merry Early Christmas. And there is our festive Korean tree. We really thought it was going to come with decorations. Yeah. But it didn't. That's okay. Um, cool. If you guys have any questions, comments, drop it down while we are talking. And we will try to answer them as we go. Let's do it. Yeah. Fun Hi! Hello, sir! <laughs> How you doing? Oh. We're buffering. Uh, we're buffering. <laughs> mm. Oh! Are you there? Sweet. I am. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right. Is Great. the volume and everything okay? Yes. Yeah. Everything's perfect. Okay. Awesome. Good. Perfect. Let's cool. see. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here and talk to y'all. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah we're yeah. excited. Doing well. Just woke up. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys are in Korea now, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. So we are 14 hours ahead of the States, at least for the East Coast. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How's the, how's, is it cold over oh. there now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this weekend, it was like, a low of five and a high of 20 something so 
it's pretty cold. And the humidity makes everything worse. Yeah. Just like everything worse. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. That's that's here in Missouri where it's like, you know, out west, you're like, oh, it's, you know, 30s, it's not that bad. And here it's like 40 and I'm freezing and it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so are you originally, are you from Missouri? I grew up, so I'm, I was born in China, but I grew up, um, came over here when I was eight. And then I grew up in Missouri ever since then. And then this is where I come back to because family's here between hikes and whatnot. And it's um, not my favorite place, but you know, it's, it's nice to have a place to come back to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Always. Yeah. <laughs> um, so wait, so you were born in China. Can you just tell us, can you just tell us about your origin story? Like just your roots? Yeah, absolutely. And this is gonna, this might go real deep. So you asked for it. So yeah, um, so, uh, yeah born in China. Uh, both my parents taught at the university in China. And then during 89, so I was two years old, uh, during 89, during Tiananmen Square and all that, my dad, I think he spoke in front of about 100,000 Chinese students demanding like freedom and, um, you know, democracy in China. And so they threw him in prison for two years for doing that. And then my family wanted to get me out of China because they thought I wouldn't have a good future because now our family are political dissidents. And so they knew some American professors um, visiting from Missouri State here in Missouri. And then they knew someone in Bolivar, Missouri, who wanted to adopt. And then so I was adopted when I was eight. And so eight years old, literally, I think if you like drill the hole through where I was at in China, I was in Lanzhou, it might pop out right in Missouri. That's what I figured. It's like literally on the other side of the world. And yeah, just left everyone I knew. And, you know, but thinking back, it was really weird. Like I didn't miss people. Like that's really strange for a kid to not miss their family. And I didn't cry. I didn't. Um, and it was like my, uh, I think just a survival mechanism, that part of me that connected to people just shut down. And like that really fed into a lot of, you know, we go into why through hiking and all this other stuff, but you know, that's my like the super villain origin story is that that's the trauma from growing up is being born in China and then moving over here um, to the U.S. And then I grew up in Missouri and went to school here and all that. And, and Interesting. Yeah. do you still stay in contact with your biological parents? Yeah. So my uh, so my mom actually came over a couple years after I did. She got a music scholarship. It's cool. She learned. Um, uh, what is it? Had to learn like German and French to do her operas and like learn English at the time as well. And just worked at Chinese restaurants. Like she's had such a harder life than I've had. Uh, but like, mm -hmm. so she grew up during the Cultural Revolution. I guess she didn't walk until she was four because they were so malnourished. Because that was during the Great Leap Forward in China, where they brought all the peasants in from the fields to the factories, and then everybody starved to death. And so she said they would have dinners of like boiled tree bark. And then when she like graduated high school, it was a Cultural Revolution, and they just threw her in the fields, and then she. Um, got to go to university. She's like lucky to get to go to university. And so like that was, you know, a much harder life than I've had. Um, wow. But yeah, so she came over and then my uh, Chinese father came over a couple of years after that. Um, and I got to see him a couple of times and he passed when I was 13. And we think because of all the, you know, the stressors from being in prison and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, and then I have a little, little brother here. He's 17 now and he's really into bodybuilding and he's gigantic <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's like, yeah he's he's stronger and heavier than me at 17 than i ever was so that's pretty wow. cool yeah what was it like coming over to the u.s at eight was it 
you said that you were you probably repressed or suppressed a lot of that emotion but um was it a big culture shock trying to adjust to the states yeah you know my memories are weird it's i think there's a lot of funny tricks that the brain plays to just for survival um i remember coming over here and i swore like the principal of my third you know third grade school here in america was the exact same person as my principal in china like they could have not possibly looked alike at all but that, that was in my mind it was like all these same people i kept seeing i was like oh that's the same person as from china and so for me the transition it didn't like it didn't feel tough at the time and i don't remember even not knowing the language it feels like i picked up the language pretty quickly and i managed to forget all my mandarin um <laughs> so oh, that's man. that. yeah uh but yeah it it was like my brain like it, like it it needed to adapt to survive so it did what it needed to do yeah my mom was adopted from korea when she was six years old and she lost mm. she lost korean she said within like four months and she was like i just don't know it now i've never known it <laughs> yeah yeah so i yeah. got it <laughs> yeah it, i want to learn it sometime i think it's got to be there somewhere like yeah, yeah. <laughs> unlock it <laughs> be cool just wake up one morning and there no, it, it is right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So how and when did you get into like the outdoor recreation and everything? Yeah, it was, when was it? Like I, I, I wasn't really into outdoor stuff until later on in life. Um, and it was just reading like, I, don't know, I, got, I got into just doing little hikes around um, where I was in Columbia, Missouri. And you know, they were just little four or five mile hikes in the in the woods and I, I as I got older yeah like I hated camping growing up it was the as like especially in Missouri like there's bugs and it's humid and it's hot and like I just and I, I was really into video games so like I just wanted to be inside and play video games I don't want to be outside uh, and it, yeah so I like it's funny it wasn't until I was an adult that I started to appreciate nature and I don't remember any specific thing but yeah I just do little hikes around and it was um just reading like Bill Bryson's book that I to discover the Appalachian Trail. I was like, oh, that sounds, it was, yeah, that sounds awesome. And yeah. that's what got me into that, it. That's a big transition to go from, I guess, video gaming to like getting lost in the woods and not having any connection to the internet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. So like I, uh, back in college, so I have an accounting degree. You know, of course, being Asian, of course, I would have an accounting degree. <laughs> and I already I had done some internships and I like I knew I didn't want to be an accountant even before I graduated. And so I was trying to figure out what do I, you know, I, I'm about to graduate. I need to make a living. What do I want to do? And and I got so stressed out thinking about it. I was like, screw this. I'm just going to play Diablo 3. Diablo 3 came out that summer. I was like, I'm just going to not think about this for the summer because I don't need to. I'm going to play this game. And then I actually had one of the first level 60 monks in Diablo 3. So I just made a YouTube video about it and it got like a million views. And I made oh, wow. like, it was like decent money, you know, yeah. especially as a broke college kid. I was like, oh, there's something here. And then I was just trying to find like, what's my niche? And I was like, well, I'm really into video games and I'm really into weightlifting and fitness. So I'll just be the healthy gamer. And so uh -huh. that I did that for a couple of years before going on the hikes. Yeah. Uh, and so I've always been interested. I think more what draws me to the hikes and whatnot is the like the personal development aspect of it because mm -hmm. i've you know i yeah i've been such i used to be such a different person just so shy and introverted and like having no 
no confidence, no belief in myself. And like, it was kind of the process of the journey of fitness and um, that kind of self-development journey. And I think like a through hike is kind of this next step where like, how far can you push yourself? How, you know, recognizing that there's just more things internally that need to be developed and, and seeing like this challenge will probably be something that can really, you know, um, get some of those goals and development goals. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we were, we were seeing some of the things on your YouTube. When did like the gaming aspect of your life change and I guess the outdoor aspect start? Yeah, that was, I don't know, 2014 or 2015. It was, it sounds so silly now. Like there are definitely times like if I'm on trail and just cold and wet and like, like I gave up being able to play video games for a living to come out here and do this. <laughs> um, yeah, because there, you know, like if I had, because I had started that YouTube stuff back in 2012 and I've had just kept at it. Like I'm, I could probably be making a living just playing video games, make a video every day and upload it. But I distinctly remember thinking several times um, after, you know, 10 or 12 hours of playing Diablo or whatever I was playing at the time, like, is this going to be my whole life? Like, mm -hmm. This is going to be my life. I'm just going to sit here at this computer day after day and play this game. And then like, you know, in 20 years or however, whenever I, well, hopefully not 20 years, but whenever I die, like, is that all my life will have amounted to? And I think that was, um, yeah, that was really the crux of deciding like, no, I want more out of life than just sitting in front of the screen. Interesting. Kind of like an existential crisis. Over and yeah. Over again. Yeah. yeah, I have lots. I have lots of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what was like the defining moment where you were like, I'm going to go through hike the Appalachian Trail? Yeah. Um, so I had what was it I'm trying to think yeah, I had done like, oh, yeah, I had opened a CrossFit gym back in 2015. And I've been doing other like I had kind of moved away from the games and just moved more towards more business oriented things. And I have been involved in some startup stuff. And it was like, it really burned me out just all these meetings with investors. And, um, and like, I don't know, that whole scene really put a bad taste in my mouth where everyone just wants to meet you and network with you, but they don't really care about what you're doing. They just want to yeah. have access to your clients or your network. And it all feels so surface level and so fake. And especially these guys that have money and they're, they'll sit down with you for an hour and they own 50% of your company. And it's like, I, I don't know, the whole thing just, it really left a bad taste in my mouth in it. And I got really burnt out on it. And I kind of had this thought of like, well, you know, if I have, if I make a bunch of money doing this, then what would I do? And it was like, well, I would like to go hike the Appalachian Trail. I like to travel. And then it was like, well, I don't need a bunch of money to do this. So why not just go, go and do it? And it was, yeah, it, I think, it's um, it's kind of like what people describe as a midlife crisis where everything just burns out and I'm just looking, you know, what the path I've been on is just not working and I just literally don't have any more energy to continue on. And, and like, it's kind of like a Hail Mary, like, well, let's, let's go try this thing and then see if that can keep me from killing myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, how much was that? Was stepping foot on the AT your first like backpacking trip or do you have experience before that? Yeah, it was. I had been um, in the Army Infantry in the National Guard before that. So I had experience like being out in the woods with a heavy pack on 
Um, but yeah, I don't think I'd actually gone actually backpacking aside from the army, uh, ex except for the AT. And that, yeah, that was actually bad because I, I was like, oh, I, I'm used to carrying 70 pounds in the woods. Like, it was no problem. I'll carry everything. And, and I, yeah, that my pack was so heavy on the AT. I think my base weight was over 30, 35 pounds. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it was really, really bad. Like going up, I remember going up Mount Washington, um, my pack, it was like 55 pounds. And one of the things I had in my pack was a three pound whole ham because I went shopping <laughs> at Walmart and I was hungry. And the ham was like on sale for like, you know, a dollar a pound. I was like, well, yeah, I'll just get this. I can eat a pound of ham a day and it'll be fine. <laughs> And I came off that mountain with like two and a half pounds of ham. And so oh, no. <laughs> no one can eat a pound of ham a day. Just if anyone's <laughs> one day. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, was that where the extra weight lied? Like what, where were the 35 yeah. pounds? Was it clothing? Was it food? Um, so like, so I had a 65 liter Osprey. So that pack itself is five and a half or six pounds. Mm -hmm. And then I had a really heavy sleeping bag. I carried... <laughs> I thought it'd be a good idea to hammock in the beginning, but then I also wanted to sleep in the shelter. So I carried like a hammock plus like a sleeping pad and like an extra sleep system for shelters. And oh, then I just never, yeah, set up my hammock. And I had like, you know, like camp shoes and just all sorts of stuff. You know, I, like, I don't know how it got up that heavy either, but it just, it got heavy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so definitely not recommended. Nice. <laughs> so how was the first through hike for you? What was the experience like? It was um, really good. I remember the first day being on trail and I was filling up. So this was, yeah, so I, it must've been right around the top of Springer Mountain. Like I, I hiked the approach trail and then I got up to that first camp there. And then I was filling up at the, the spring there and just like holding my water bottle under the flowing water. And that was like something I'd never really done before. And I was just thinking like, wow, how cool is this? Like, here's where I'm getting my water from this you know, flowing source right here. And then I get to sleep out here and continue on. And it just felt like such a cool experience. And I remember maybe about a month into the trail, uh, I was just hiking and all of a sudden this feeling of like comfort overcame me and I was like oh wow the woods feel like home right now like the woods right now feel like my living room and it doesn't feel like a dangerous strange place anymore um, and that was really cool and then so so I so I started really late so yeah it's like I read a walk in the woods and then 45 days later I was on the trail so I it was pretty impulsive and I didn't really plan so I started in Springer in May something May 8th I think and then I got up to Harper's Ferry and then I flipped up to Maine and I took, I think, like a whole month in Maine. Just I stopped at every single lake and pond up there. <laughs> and, and so, like, super late in the season. And, I, and then it started to get cold. And I was like, oh, I better, I better get going. And, yeah, and then just hiked south from there. And so, like, the first two-thirds of the trip were really amazing. And the last third was, like, cold and terrible. And there's nobody on the trail. And um, in retrospect, so I realized I actually had – uh, Lyme disease there so like yeah at, with like five or six hundred miles left I just started waking up every morning with my joints being incredibly in pain like I'd have to it would be half an hour to an hour of warming up before my legs could move right and I just thought that's what happened after you hiked that far mm -hmm. uh, but you know talking with other people later on it's like because I've never had that experience on any other trail 
Um, and there was like, yeah, that's the classic symptoms of Lyme disease. Um, so had that and I had stress fractures, I think, in my feet because it was just, I, so I was taking about two ibuprofen every two hours for the last like two months on the trail um, just to be able to keep going. But it was weird. I never, I knew I was going to finish the trail. I just never considered stopping. And I finished, it was after Thanksgiving. Um, I remember being in a shelter in Thanksgiving and it was super cold. And I had just like, I had gone through a town that day and the only thing open was a, a convenience store. And so I bought some ice cream out of there. And it was so cold at the time, I just kept it in my pack. So I had this like half melted can of ice cream and I set my <laughs> stove home because for weight. And so I had like a cold soaked ramen and that was my oh. Thanksgiving on the trail. And I was <laughs> alone in the shelter and I was just sitting there like, like I wanted to cry. <laughs> like this is <laughs> just so terrible. And so that was, yeah, that, that finish, it was really just anticlimactic. I got to Harper's Ferry, like in the dark and nobody was there. And, you know, I was just tired and uh, just ready to go home. Yeah. Oh my God. The mid Atlantic must've been miserable. Yeah. PA, New Jersey. You probably, did you see anyone like that late in the season? Yeah, not really. Just a random day hiker or a section hiker, but pretty much nobody. And yeah, it was just, just cold and like the the leaves are off the trees and the sky you know you get dark at five o'clock every day so you'd hike three or four hours in the dark and uh i think get down to the 20s at night and just yeah not fun wow mm -hmm. what was your um what was your favorite section of the at like looking back on it mm, probably maine maine was really cool vermont was really cool with all the leaves changing and went mm -hmm. through right as the leaves are changing um yeah, but Maine was all, yeah, I mean, I spent a month there, so Maine was pretty great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lived in Maine for a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what made you then just jump right to, or, or how early did you catch the bug for through hiking? Um, like, were you pretty much sold on doing the Triple Crown during your AT through hike? And then what made you jump on the CDT right after? Yeah, I think I was. Um, there's something about my personality. I just really like big challenges. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> Burp me up the protein shake. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I really enjoy big challenges. I really enjoy, um, pushing my limits and just something about when like, there's a lot of suffering going on. Like that's when I come the most alive and I don't know if that's uh, something wrong with me or whatever, but it, it makes through hiking. It's like a natural fit for that. And also, I'm really good at grinding. So I, when I played World of Warcraft a lot, like I was good at that game because I could sit there and, and do the same dungeon for 12 hours at a time, whereas other people will get bored and quit. Like that's the, I was good at that. So through hiking is a natural fit for that. So I yeah. think it's I just gravitated towards it because it fits my personality really well. And it's I mean it's just um, the adventure of it is so amazing, and I love the beauty of it and the people that you meet um, and having that. Um, because that's I'm still I still am not great at maintaining relationships with people, maintaining friendships. But being on trail, you're kind of you know you you have a forced group of friends. So I really that that solves that community aspect for me. So I really um, you know I, I really am happiest on the trail. So I think I recognize that pretty quickly on on the AT. Like this is the most alive and happy that I felt um, ever, and so I want to get more of this. Yeah. So what made you choose the CDT over doing like the PCT next? Um, I think it was, so I was um, dating my girlfriend at the time and we had always talked about hiking the PCT together. 
and, and she wasn't ready to hike yet. So I was like, well, I guess I'll go do the CDT. Um, and that was really that decision. And that was that year. Um, I had thought um, it'd be cool so to ride a bike from Mexico to Canada and then hike the CDT from Canada back down to, down to Mexico. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that was that order. Uh, do you have any, like, biking experience, like bike packing experience before <laughs> doing that trek? No, no. So originally I was going to hike the Arizona Trail and then before the CDT and then hop on the CDT. But then somebody, it was a friend on Instagram, he was like, hey, I'm going to uh, bike the Arizona Trail. Why don't you bike that? And so that was what got my gears turning. Of like, well, let's bike the Arizona Trail and then I can just bike all the way up to um, Canada and then hike back down. And um, it's really funny. Like, like, I just say this as a joke, but like, it's the worst friend ever to advise someone who has never mountain biked or biked packed before to bike the Arizona Trail because the Arizona Trail is considered the most difficult bike packing trail that exists in oh. the US. Yeah. Um, and so like, I essentially, like, I, I definitely spent more time, not like miles, but more time pushing my bike on that trail than I did riding my bike. <laughs> so I hiked the Arizona Trail while I pushed the bike. Uh, and then you have to carry oh. You have to disassemble your bike. You have to carry it through the Grand Canyon. Yeah, uh, and that was terrible. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And then and there's so many so many tourists, and every person you meet on the way down has, like, a dad joke about, oh, you should be riding that thing. Like, as I'm being crushed, it was an 85-pound pack with my bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going into the Grand, so you're 6,000 feet down and 7,000 feet up. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, wait, yeah. you had to road bike the rest of the way up to Canada? Yeah, so originally I was going to do like the Great Mountain Divide route and go through the mountains back up to Canada, but I was so exhausted by that time. I was like, I, screw it, I'm going to the ocean. So I went to, uh, to Highway 1 and just rode the highway, um, you know, the much flatter highway up to Vancouver. Nice, nice. nice. Oh my God. That's an adventure though. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't, it really, yeah, it kind of turned me, so I almost got hit by cars probably half a dozen times. There were a couple of people that kind of intentionally got really close to me and it just really turned me off of biking in the U.S. And people are not, um, most people are good, but when you have so many cars passing you, there's just some jerks out there and it's, um, it, it really evokes that fight or flight response and like, because mm. you're actually almost dying. And I was, I was really stressed out after that trip. And um, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was almost a little bit of, like PTSD symptoms where my um, my fuse was really short and I was like getting much angrier than I usually do. And I, like, I was ready to fight people. And it was in retrospect, like, wow, that, that bike trip, like it, it was, it was stressful. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, you can go ahead. I was going to say, do you have any advice for someone that wants to bike pack in general? Yeah. Um, don't do the Arizona trail. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I would, so like the Great Divide mountain bike trail seems like a really good trail because it's mostly dirt roads and it's very rideable and you're, you know, it seems beautiful. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of people will do Highway 1, but there's just so many cars and there are a lot of the places there's barely no, like no shoulder or barely no shoulder at all. Um, it's cool. You get to be by the ocean, but I just am not a fan of having cars pass you, you know, all day. Um but and the Colorado Trail seems like it's more rideable. It still seems like it'd be rough to uh, to ride like a loaded bike. My first day on the Colorado Trail this year, I 
like past these two bike packers and they seem really embarrassed <laughs> you know a hiker was like hiking more than they were riding <laughs> uh, so like it is tough so um but yeah i would say like the great divide mountain bike trail is probably the one i would go to Nice. Yeah. And then just, you know, the same thing, like keeping it light, even though you're on a bike, you can carry more, but, you know, still same stuff, keeping it light. And um, I think the biggest detriment of bikepacking that I found is it's, it is so much easier to get to places and to like get to towns and whatnot, which is nice because you can be like, I want, you know, a McDonald's that's five miles away. Like that takes, you know, 30 minutes to bike there. Um, whereas you know, hiking, you're like, I'm not going to walk five miles out of my way to get food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's, so it's a lot easier to get to places. But because of that, you don't have like these gathering places that you do on a trail. And so the community, uh, I find like if you're not biking with people, you're just going to be alone the whole time. And uh, for me, the um, like the community of the through hikes is one of the best aspects. And yeah. so I think that was another thing. Like I really miss that, that bike trip. I was just by myself the whole time. And I really miss that community of it. Gotcha. So was it an, an immediate switch? Like you got to Vancouver and then you head over to the northern terminus of the CBT? I think I had about two weeks. So I got over there, went, came home for a little bit, and then headed back on the on the CDT. Nice. Yeah. And it was, How yeah, got up to... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, yeah. Got up to Glacier and the, you know, the it's funny, the rangers there are pretty, yeah, they're really great. And they're like, I was like, yeah, I can do, do you know, do some 25s and whatnot. And they're like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I just, I just rode a bike for 2,500 miles. It'll be all right. Um, uh, yeah, but I don't know. That was the only, only thought I had there. How did your biking legs translate into hiking legs? Was that like an easy switch over or was it tough? It really was. I think, I'm trying to think, I don't think I really had any issues with like blisters and in Glacier, we did, it was a bunch of 20, I think 26 miles was the biggest day. And that was pretty rough in Glacier because there's a lot of elevation there too. But um, soon as, yeah, from Glacier, then it was the Bob Marshall Wilderness. And in there, it was like 26 to 30s. And that didn't seem too bad. And then pretty much after that, able to push 30s. So uh, I think that the bike packing it definitely translated because, I mean, the cardio is there for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of carries, probably not direct carryover, but like going uphill on a loaded bike is really, really hard. And so I think it's it's a really, yeah, pretty good trans translation or a carryover from, nice. from the bikes. Um, I was listening to your um, Hiking Through podcast and you were telling Aaron that uh, like Northern, like Montana and Wyoming mm -hmm. is like big grizzly country. And that was like the first time that you felt uh, more anxious to be out in the woods. Um, what was what was like that experience like going from Appalachian Trail to CDT? Yeah, man, that's funny. I forgot about that. Um, I remember, uh, yeah, towards the southern end of Glacier, it was like really, really overgrown, and just hiking in there, I was just picturing like this is where I get eaten by a grizzly bear because like <laughs> I can't see five feet in front of me, and it's just like. You know, it's like Jurassic Park, and I'm just picturing like, well, there's definitely going to be a grizzly here, and then it's going to eat me. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think back on that. It's um, it's funny, like what what solved that was just fatigue. Like there was so much um, anxiety the first couple of nights, but then past that, you're just so tired. Like I, I got to a point where I was like, I don't 
I don't care if a bear comes. Like, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. If it comes, it's going to come and eat me. Um, and it's just like anything else on trail. You you acclimatize to it. You know, you the, you worry about all these things. And then they come, and they're never as bad as you worried about. And you figure it out, and, and you get used to it. And, and uh, yeah, by the time we were through, you know, middle of Montana, it was just – it wasn't uh, even a – concern anymore really just you know just do the normal things like make noise whenever you're in somewhere overgrown and it just didn't really bother me i didn't even see a bear on trail like i saw some when i was hitching in cars but i didn't see a single bear on the cdt which is or single grizzly on the cdt it's like to that question about bears we were in the winds and uh, my friend flybys in front of me she stopped and she's looking at something so i'm like what are you looking at she's like oh there's a black bear over there and then so i'm looking at it and it's just like a little um like adolescent black bear kind of running around he's like running in the woods and then popping his head out looking at us and then so i just started you know walking towards it she's like you're not supposed to do that like well we got to go that way (laughs) and then that that was exactly where we were going to camp and then as we're going up there we're talking like yeah we'll definitely camp somewhere else because there's a bear there and then we get there and it's getting towards dark and we're like we're just gonna let's just camp here who cares (laughs) (laughs) yeah how the fatigue and being on trail affects your mentality is certain point like well whatever (laughs) this is is where i'm stopping so (laughs) (laughs) what were um some of the biggest challenges on the cbt Mm. Hmm. I mean, logistically, it's more challenging. I think going through the Bob Marshall Wilderness, I planned to do that whole section. I think it's about 170 miles. So it was like eight days of food um, packed in there. And we ended up getting off trail going to Augusta. So it didn't end up being that, you know, that whole carry. But I was like, it was really hard to cram eight days of food into my pack and like really heavy. Um, So logistically, that was pretty challenging. There's, yeah, definitely just um, less populated towns. We got into, let's see, Pineville, Wyoming. And and it's funny how the trail works out this way. Because like, so in that, it's Pinedale or Pine something, Wyoming, right after the winds. And uh, what you come out of is a just like a trailhead parking lot. So it's not it's not a road. It's just one road. Well, it's a road, but it's one road that goes up to this trailhead and it stops there. That's the dead end. So there's no traffic. So the only people going up and down the road are going to that trailhead. And we got there on a Friday afternoon. So like everyone was getting up there to go into the winds. Like nobody was coming back on that Friday. And we were looking at, um, you know, I don't remember how far it might might have been 15 or 20 miles to walk that road down and into town. Um, and if we had to do that, we would have just been totally out of food. We didn't have, you know, I don't know about water along that road, anything like that. And it was, we got there, you know, towards 4 or 5 p.m. And it just happened to be that um, I had a friend that had messaged me on Facebook a couple, you know, like a week or two before saying like, hey, if you're ever in Pinedale, um, hit me up. And he somehow worked... Um, at the oil fields or something there he'd be there for two weeks on and two weeks off and he had just happened to get there that night or that day and so i messaged like i had a little spot with a little service and i messaged him he's like yeah i'll be right up there and pick you guys up so i was able to get a ride from him and i was like you know that was like otherwise i don't know how we would have we would have had to walk down into town Uh, but it seems like it always works out like that on the trail yeah the trail always provides it does always provides (laughs) um which experience 
That's hard. But which experience did you like more? Did you like the AT or the CDT? Uh, definitely the CDT. Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. so much more wild and beautiful. And I like that aspect where the CDT, you kind of get to pick your own adventure and um, you have to kind of problem solve and think through a lot more. So we went through um, the Tetons, which is not the official CDT. And uh, we, uh, we did the, the Big Sky Cutoff, which is really cool. And so it was really cool to piece those together and use like old maps. And you know, a lot of these maps were, the trail had been rerouted since the maps were made. So you kind of had to just infer based on the maps and like common sense. And there was one point I remember um, just completely losing the trail and being like, well, I know there's a road at the bottom of this mountain. So I just go straight down this mountain and eventually I'll hit this road. And like, I'm not going to stop trying to find this, this trail. And like to be able to do that stuff and, and survive it, it gives you a level of confidence where um, I didn't have on the AT because the AT is like, Oh, I, I had to follow, you know, if I, I lost the blaze, where do I go? Yep, yep. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Here, you, you, you know, like you can look at your maps and, and see like, okay, this is where I need to go. And, um, and I can, I don't need a trail to get there. I can, you know, I can figure, figure out my own way. And that, that's pretty cool. And that played into, so this year I went into Sedona at the end of all my stuff. And yeah. I went into the West, yeah, the West Fork. And like, <laughs> um, it was basically hiking through a river for miles and miles. And it was super cold. And, and reading the description, it says, um, there might be times where you have to swim. And I was hoping like, since it's November, I won't have to swim, but there were, there were spots where I could have fallen in and it would have been 10 feet deep. And so then I decided to try and climb out. And so it was just climbing out of this, like, uh, essentially, you know, th these are Canyon walls there and just mm -hmm. climbed up. It was like a thousand feet of vert and it took five hours and I had to push through so much, um, uh, just like thorns and everything else. And it was one of the worst experiences on trail, but like it was because of, the experiences on the CDT and, and like being able to look at a map and seeing like, okay, I could probably make it through here. Um, and having that confidence to then just like, well, I'm tired of, you know, swimming. So <laughs> I'm going to get out of the canyon. Oh, uh, wait, I want to jump to the West Fork really quick. Yeah. What, um, <laughs> was there a recommendation on like what time of year to do that trail? Um, yeah. yeah I mean, summer, summer. Yeah. I don't, Probably they they didn't think anybody would be dumb enough to go do it in the winter. <laughs> the water's cold. Uh, I would not yeah. recommend that. Yeah, in the winter. No, I saw the videos. It looked gnarly. It looked gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty terrible. <laughs> um, how? I'm sorry. You're I was right? just gonna ask. Like we didn't talk about it yet. When and how did you get your trail name? I was just gonna Yeah, it was. Um, my original trail name was Spruce Lee on the AT. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somewhere, it was just in the Snokies. I think, I, yeah, I came up to a shelter and somebody just like pointed at me and like yelled Quadzilla. And of course that, like, you don't register that. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, your legs, your Quadzilla. And then that just kind of stuck from there. Nice. Love That's it. Been, Love yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Your photography is beautiful on your Instagram. Um, where you. have you always been into photography or uh, when did that start? Yeah, so that just started on the AT. Like I didn't really 
um, know what I was doing. I just brought my, it was a Canon 70D at the time. And so before that, I was into like doing YouTube stuff and YouTube videos. So that was kind of my intention, like bring this camera along. Um, yeah, I had all these grand plans, like, oh, I'm going to shoot this awesome documentary. No one's done it before and all that. And of course, you know, you get into it and you're like, it's so much work to shoot video and you're tired. And it's all the videos, just like these boring panning shots of, yep. you know, more mountains. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so I brought that, I brought that along and I just started, um, just started shooting photos and, uh, just mostly it's just been trial and error and watching YouTube videos. And I met a couple, uh, couple hikers, um, like Dylan, um, I met him on the Arizona trail. He's an incredible photographer and then twerk. And then just being able to twerk in the dirt from the PCT, um, just being able to like pick their brains and pick, uh, just get little tips. Like, yeah, I spent an hour with Dylan in Flagstaff and he just gave me these, all these really good tips. And like, I credit him with a heat, up my photography game in that hour more than than I had in that whole you know my all my fumbling around with it so and it's oh, nice. um yeah it, it it adds an element to the trails where it's uh, like I get hyped to get a big view because you can get a awesome picture out of it yeah um what camera do you use now so I've been carrying a Sony A7S2 like a full frame um, mirrorless DSLR. And I think next year I'm going to go with a Sony, like an A6500, just a little smaller crop frame, um, save a little bit of weight because this thing, actually I should have it right here. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it weighs, but it's it's a good two or three pounds by itself mm-hmm. probably. It's just hanging on the shoulder. Like I, I feel it. Yeah. Are you ever afraid of bringing something that expensive out on, on a trail? No, I, sh- <laughs> I was hoping this year that I would lose it or break it so I could collect my <laughs> insurance money on it. But that- <laughs> They're pretty rugged. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Do you have any suggestions for someone who wants to get better at photography while they're out on a trail or while hiking? Yeah, so I think um, just learning how to use Lightroom and learning how to edit your photos, because that's all I do is I just, you know, you, you uh, I make sure the exposure is good. You know, of course, the artistic part is getting whatever frame you want, how the composition you want, and then um, Lightroom, I think, is the other really big piece that separates uh, photographers. And then, you know, I have a lot of fake light in my video or in my photos, and it's it like the before and after are completely different. And so, uh, there's a lot of really good tutorials on YouTube and whatnot. So just like uh, follow, and then once you kind of figure out the tricks, you can look at other photographers and you can kind of see like, okay, this is what they're doing and get ideas from them and how they're, um, they're editing their photos. And, and a lot of it, yeah, it's just all to do with um, how you do your lights and, and just shooting, just shooting a whole bunch. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah. No, no, no that's the, great. Yeah. Um, geez, okay, if we yeah, yeah. So we are going to be trying something new. We're going to take a quick break from questions. Well, It'll be more questions, but we want to try out a new like segment. So you're our you're our guinea pig today. Um, we're going to do a thirty second rapid fire question round with you. So we're gonna ask oh, a bunch okay. of questions, um, just as fast as you can come up with an answer, no explanation. Just say whatever comes <laughs> into your mind. It'll be hiking related, um, okay. but we're gonna do a thirty second timer and see how many questions we can get through. All right. Cool. Ready? All right, let's go. Okay. I'll start it. Yeah. And go. Okay. Poles or no poles? Poles. 
Hang or sleep with your food? Sleep. Best trail runner? Wait, sorry, I don't understand the question. Best trail runner shoe? Oh, um, Ultras. Uh, AT, PCT, or CDT? CDT. Best state to hike in? Washington. Smiles no, Montana. Over... <laughs> <laughs> smiles over miles or miles over smiles? <gasps> wow, mm. that's so fast. We should have done it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <Next time. laughs> oh, uh, wait. Ooh, I don't know. I, probably based on my behavior, miles. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, you sleep with your food? You don't hang your food? Oh, like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, I get in trouble. Uh, I have to like keep my mouth shut on that stuff because I, so, okay, so I think the whole bear hang thing, a lot of it is just for the psychological benefit of people. Um, I think if I will hang, like, I'll hang around um, habituated bears. Like, if there's problem bears, if there's, in high traffic areas like those are the times i hang but there should not be bear problems when you're in the middle of a wilderness especially if you're camping with people like that's a very bold bear to come and mm -hmm. you know get get at if you a, a group of multiple campers um and, and it, like, yeah i got in this whole argument on the colorado trail facebook page because like on the colorado trail there's no good trees to hang like i would uh, because a bad hang is just then free food for the bears and there are so many stories, like this guy stopped me on the trail. He said he got his food stolen. Um, you know, it was like 100 miles from Denver. And like, and then, and then if, then that, well, that's what is, what problem, that's just creating a different problem where these bears are going to be going after hikers' food bags. Um, so I guess, it's, you know, it's all your personal um, pref or whatever your comfort levels. But I think a lot of times, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I sleep with my food most of the time. We're on your train. Yeah. Was there like <laughs> yeah. a defining experience or moment that made you decide or was it just, you know, I'm going to hang with my food, sleep with my food? Yeah. No, it's just um, fatigue is most of I remember. So this was in <laughs> Montana. We were, yeah, this was in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which has like the densest population of grizzly bears. They take all the problem bears from Glacier and they drop them off in the Bob. And we were camped by this river and there was a big print there. Um, and like, and I was camped there with, um, it was it one or two other people and, um, and like, we tried to, like, I was looking to hang, but there just weren't good trees and I was just getting so tired. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to sleep with my food. And my friend there was like, you see that bear print, right? That like gigantic bear print right next to the river. And I was like, yeah, but I'm tired and I don't want to try and sit, you know, throw this stupid rope for another hour to get it you know, off the tree. And, and that was one of the, yeah, on the CDT, like, it was that moment, I was like, yeah, you know, it's, if there aren't any good trees, I'm, I'm just gonna, so I should probably take an ursac with me on the CDT, because, mm -hmm. I mean, grizzlies are a little scarier than black bears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. You get hungry at 3am, so, like, you it's <laughs> nice to have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, at least you made it through the AT. We were on the AT in Damascus, like right outside Damascus, and we had hung our food, and a bear came up and nudged our tent instead of going for our food. And we were like, you know what? If he's going to come anyways, might as well, sleep, might as well just sleep with it. <laughs> right, yeah. Fight me for it. Yeah. It's like, I will fight you for my food. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's jump into your 2021 season, because yeah. like a lot of stuff happened. Mm -hmm. um, can you just like walk us through like what you did in 2021? 
Yeah, so 2020, so I started out, uh, the plan was to Sobo the PCT. So I did, um, yeah, I did Washington. <laughs> that was, the, my first couple of days on the PCT were nuts. So the Hearts Pass was closed. So have you guys done the PCT? No, we're doing it next year. Or this oh, okay. year. oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I might see you out there. Um, yeah. So, you know, traditionally, Southbounders will get on trail from Hearts Pass, and that's 30 miles from the Canadian border, and then you go up to the border and you come back. Um, but there was a wildfire there, so Hearts Pass was closed. So I had to come up from the west side, and that trail, it was it was like 80 grades. Um, I think it was about 6,000 feet of gain in the first eight-ish miles. And so I had come off of, like, I hadn't I uh, worked out or, like, what well, like, worked out a little. I hadn't run. I hadn't done any cardio for, like, six or seven months because I was like, well, I'll just get on trail and get my trail legs in. And so that first day was really, really rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to the border. And at the border, there's um, this woman comes hiking down, and she's, like, ashen face, and she's stumbling and um, just looks just terrible. And uh, so I got to talking with her. Oh, and then she pulls a chihuahua out of her Melly front pack. And so just, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so she had, uh, through hiked with a chihuahua and, um, yeah, and she had had, she had just been sick and, um, like hadn't had kept food or water down for the last 48 hours. Uh, and it was like in really bad shape. And so I was able to convince her to go, um, you know, go into Canada and got her out there and, it was, yeah, and so that, you know, that day, like, was like a whole wash, and then I carried all her, so she had set up all her tent and stuff from that six-mile, um, uh, whatever, lake right before, and so the next day, I'm walking out of there with two tents and two sleeping bags and, you know, all that stuff, like a 50, my package is, like, bursting at the seams, and Luckily, there were some rangers at Hearts Pass I was able to, able to drop that off with. But yeah, when I finally got to Stahican there, like it was, um, it felt like I'd I had been on trail for like a year. Like that was <laughs> that was a really rough uh, first couple, yeah, first couple of days. But then, yeah, and then I went through Washington, and that it felt pretty um, like mechanistic. Like it was just I was like, okay, I'm this is this is the trail. Uh, this is how far I'm going, and it didn't really feel like an adventure at that point and then from there i uh went on to the oregon coast with a friend and that was really fun and that's when the trail started to feel like an adventure for me this year because it was like uh, you know i don't have to follow this certain set path um and then also that was because you know there are all these wildfire closures and all that going on and so we did the oregon coast trail and it was really funny how we ended how uh, she was continuing on um, north and I was continuing on south or something, but we sat at the opposite sides of Highway One and hitchhiked away from each other in opposite wow. directions. And of course, she she gets a ride immediately, and then <laughs> I'm there, you know, for like the next hour trying to get a hitch. <laughs> but that was a really it was like such a through hiker way of ending, you know, this little this uh, little hike. And then I went out to the Colorado Trail, and that was the weather was perfect and the the leaves were beautiful. Um, and that was, yeah, that was like a perfect hike there. I don't think I got rained on once there. Um, and, and everything just went really, really smoothly on the Colorado trail. And then from there, I hopped back on to the continental divide, New Mexico. So in 2018, I had gotten Giardia on the uh, CDT in Chama, New Mexico. 
and um, got off trail. It was really bad. I lost about 16 pounds in two weeks and like just couldn't keep food down, couldn't keep water down. Uh, Really, yeah, really terrible. So it worked out that I was able to get right back on trail where I left off and then hike that down to uh, down there. And yeah, that actually reminds me. So we, in 2018, going through the San Juans in Colorado, we were getting um, just like freezing rain. And so this is like a funny lesson in, like, listen, follow your plans. Don't get peer pressure into doing things. Because I had been hiking with Flyby for this whole time, and we were getting down into Colorado, and we said, like, okay, if there's weather in the San Juans, we'll just take the Creed cutoff, um, the low elevation route. Like, we don't want to die up in the mountains. But then when we got to Leadville and around, we, like, formed a really nice trail family um, with, uh, you know, some really fun hikers. Uh, and then so and then everybody was, like, just dead set on going through the San Juan. So like, all right, we'll go through it. And it was calling for five straight days of weather, like bad weather up there. And this was at the end of September. And so, and it was like the worst kind of weather because, you know, like if it were snow, that would be better than freezing rain. And we just got just hammered with freezing rain. I remember one night we came up um, like over a ridge and I, I had glasses at the time, so my glasses were, like, freezing over. So, like, the sun was setting. My glasses are frozen over. I have this little headlamp, and, like, there's a cliff on one side, and then the trail, and then the steep, like, kind of a, I don't know, side slope on the other side. And I just couldn't find the trail, and I just had my, like, cut hooks out. Like, <laughs> it's so stupid. I was looking at my little dot, like, well, my dot's just wandering around. I can't find the trail. And uh, finally, I was able to see everybody else's headlights headlamps up ahead and we got to camp and we just like it was just this terrible camp on the side of the mountain and rocks and um, I don't think anybody really slept that night just so cold we kept boiling bottles of water to stay warm and uh, we fly by and I finally bailed down into Creed and I didn't really recognize how cold I was until we had been in town for and in our room for I don't know like half a day and then I started to feel feeling in my fingers like I didn't realize I had lost Whoa. my feeling for that long <laughs> yeah so I was like oh that was really cold and really <laughs> yeah so that's probably that's the closest call I've had on trail and yeah that was we just should not have been up there in those conditions mm-hmm. um, yeah how do you how do you mentally get through that with just the misery like how do you do you have a breaking point um yeah yeah, um, I, it's funny, like, if you were to drop me in that situation there now, like, I would just break and it would, I would not have a good time. But you know how it is on a through hike, you, you like build this toughness and this pain tolerance. And, to, and when you get to that point, you, you just like, you stop caring, I don't know, kind of thing. Yeah. But also, I've done um, a bunch of Vipassana retreats now, they're 10 day meditation uh, retreats. And, you know, the, I've been able to put those lessons into practice and those are tremendously helpful with pain and with suffering because one of the teachings is, you know, in, impermanence, everything is impermanent. So anytime, uh, if, if it's cold or if I'm hungry or whatever, I just remind myself like this is impermanent. And then the suffering comes when I'm trying to make reality, not what it is. And so I can just sit here with the cold or the pain or whatever it is and, and like, you know, that's all it is. It's just a sensation and I can sit here and I can feel it and it doesn't need to be 
anything else. It doesn't. It, it turns into suffering when I'm sitting here cold and I'm like, oh, I wish I wasn't cold. Like, ah, oh, you know, this is terrible. This this cold is. But like, if you just like, well, I'm cold, and that's fine. And then I will be not cold later. Um, that really helps a lot. And I, I've noticed that, um, especially yeah, on like the ultras and whatnot. Like like this mindset helps tremendously in just dealing with pain. And I've, that's been a really nice uh, mix, be able, being able to do, I usually try and do a 10 day before I go on a through hike. And then that interplay of being able to practice, because that's the whole point of meditation is it's practice for real life. You're not you're just going to sit your whole life away. Um, mm. And so that, that is super helpful. The through hikes really allow me to practice these ideas. And, and I, I do genuinely suffer less in life. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, yeah. that's beautiful. That's awesome. Talking about like suffering, tell us about the 106 mile ultra yeah. that you did in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> yeah, so I had always been curious because I suspected that someone would do really well in an ultra right after a through hike because like what other runner out there is training 16 hours a day? Um, so yeah, this was, I had, I had wanted to have more time off. So uh, I finished the CDT on November 4th, and then November 6th is when that race started. And so I originally I'd planned to have at least a week off and, you know, get some rest and get some runs in. But, like, I found a really good trail family, and we spent – we did four zeros in Silver City. Um, uh, and we, had, like, we spent Halloween there, and everybody got dressed up in costumes. And the all the hikers at the bar, the toad there, they cut us off at, like, at 11 p.m. because we were being so rowdy. <laughs> so, <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, it was one of the best times I've had on trail. And so it was totally worth it too. So I just wanted to stay with them um, and finish out the trail together. And it was, it was amazing. That was, we got to the uh, monument. I crushed that watermelon with my legs. And then there was Captain Caveman there. He had hiked the whole thing with a prosthetic leg. And so we drank leg beers out of his leg. And it was honestly <laughs> like the most, yeah, most fun finish that I've ever had. Um, but yeah, it's like, I didn't really prepare for the run um, except so I did two runs prior to that uh, one going into Pie Town there's this like 28 mile road walk going into Pie Town and it was so everything in Pie Town closes on Tuesday and I really wanted a pie and I was hiking in there on Monday and it was like this you know it was like uh, everything closed at five too so I had this real deadline so I ended up doing those 28 miles I think in six hours and 45 minutes or something like that. So it was just a matter of like, I jog and then walk and jog and walk. And I, and I got my pie. So I was really <laughs> happy about that. Like I got there just as they closed and I was able to get my pie in pie town. Um, and then wait, wait, on the, what, what type of pie was it? Oh, I think it was blueberry maybe. Nice. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. It wasn't even that good. So I don't know. It's very expensive. <laughs> not that good. So <laughs> I don't know. Not, not really worth it, but yeah, and then the other run I did, I did um, on our quadruple zero. I on that last day, I was like, I better do something, so I, I just went and I ran a marathon up um, to the CDT and back from Silver City, and that felt it was terrible, and I was sore for days afterwards. So when I go into this uh, hundred miler, like I didn't know if I'd be able to finish, like based on how bad that uh, marathon felt, but yeah, I just started going with it and started off pretty slow. That was my strategy. Just go, go slow and steady. And, um, so the, the, the track is 26 and a half miles out 
on the CDT and then back. And then you do that twice and that makes the, the whole thing. And then, so like a bunch of people were passing me in that first um, little leg. And, and then when I got to the turnaround, it was around noon. And that's when the through hiker conditioning kicked in because it was, uh, there's no shade on that section. So you're just in the desert in the heat. It wasn't that hot. It was maybe seventies or so, but like everybody else was getting really beat down. And it was that second leg that from like mile 26 and a half to mile 53 turnaround where I was able to catch up to everybody and beat everybody, like uh, get a lead. And it, it like, it wasn't really registering for me. I was like, what? Like, I just wanted to finish this thing. I didn't think I'd have a shot at winning this thing at all. Uh, but then I got, I think, I think what I did was I accidentally took a caffeine pill. So I was trying to have like this bag of just different vitamins and pills. And I was trying to, I was, I thought I was taking salt pills, but yeah, towards the end of that day, like I got super, super excited and just energized. So I must've taken a caffeine pill and I was like, well, you know, I'm feeling really good. So I'm just going to uh, build as big of a lead as I can in front of these guys. And so that's what I did. And um, I built that lead up and then by the like 70 mile, whatever turnaround, I was uh, six or seven miles ahead of, you know, second place. And then that, yeah, that made me feel good. And then um, mile like 85, my lungs started to fill with fluid. So it was, I don't know, I don't know why, I don't know if it was the air out there or the breathing in the dust or just, you know, having to work for that long. But yeah, it was, I got, it was really hard to breathe and, if the race went longer, I probably would have dropped because it was like, if I tried to take a full deep breath, I would start to cough. And um, yeah, it was, that just got kind of progressively worse. And so like it, trying to climb up the last big hill, um, I was just like, it, just wheezing up that whole hill. And just, um, I was so paranoid that somebody was going to catch me. Uh, and the last, you know, couple of miles was just an eternity. Um, like it really felt like they had, like the reality had shifted and the course got longer. And I was like, I don't remember this Ben being here. I don't remember this, you know, stuff being here. Um, but I ended up being able to, yeah, I won it. And I won by almost two hours. Second place came in almost two hours behind. Wow. Yeah. That's Congrats. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you, I can't. Did you have like a mantra or, or just something that you were repeating to yourself? Like how did you keep yourself mentally sane for 106 miles? Yeah. So I thought I was going to, I thought sleep deprivation was going to affect me a lot more. Like that didn't bother me really at all. Like the thing that bothered me was my digestion. Like my, your stomach just is, I don't know. I think a lot of people deal with that. And so my stomach just hurt a bunch, but like, other than that, um, things weren't bothering me that much. I mean, it was like, everything hurt really, really bad. It's the most pain I've been in, you know, ever. Um, but it wasn't, <laughs> like the thing that really bothered me was my digestive system um like everything else was manageable well except for when i was able to not breathe that was becoming a problem um yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i you know i think kind of going back i knew this is impermanent like i knew you know i can just go as hard as i can go and that's that's all i can do and not worry about anything else and this is impermanent this pain will pass so i can just push now and Oh, there's something else too. Uh, maybe I'll think of it, but yeah, that was really, gosh, it was, it's right there. I lost it, but it's going to be, yeah, maybe I'll think of it. Uh, maybe later. Yeah. Um, you said you were hallucinating at night. 
like the the rocks were looking like cows um <laughs> what was yeah. that like yeah and so it's just i think it's your brain is so tired it takes a bit for it to like figure out what things are mm -hmm. and so like i'll just look up and like oh there's a cow there and then you get a little closer and like oh no that's actually a rock and then, like trees look like shadow people and like <laughs> sticks look like giant weird insects um <laughs> yeah but it's not it's not in the hallucinating in the sense where like i really thought these things were out there it was just your mind is so tired that it's I think it just has a hard time like categorizing like it normally does. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So how long did it take you to do the 106 miles? Yeah, it was like 27 hours and, and some uh, maybe 50 minutes, something like that. Like I should, I, I shouldn't have won. I don't, you know, I don't know what happened out there. Just everything worked out in my favor because the winners of the last year was like a 20 hour race. So like you could, he could have gone home and slept and still beat me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh wow. yeah it was it, yeah it it was it was uh it's funny how that works too because at the end of that race it's like i am never gonna do another one of these it's terrible this is the worst idea i've ever had and then six hours after the race i was like oh yeah i can i want to run another one that'll be good <laughs> and you just immediately forget mm -hmm. uh what was the support like like the water support and the food support yeah, so they had eight stations, I think every nine-ish miles, and then there'd just be, you know, at the eight stations, there's um, water and then tailwind, like this little electrolyte drink, and then just random snacks and um, foods and whatnot, and I think that was beneficial um, as a thru-hiker, because, uh, you know, you're just e used to eating all day, every day, and whatever, you're not picky, and, you know, uh, I there was another, I heard of a guy, he was like, he quit uh, on his 53 miler because he was just fed up like there's no good food and whatever and like well whatever you just eat what there is and keep on trucking like calories are calories and I think that was um, a really big advantage that I could just put down food like at every aid station I try and eat at least three or four hundred calories and just shove it down like I don't, it doesn't matter how hungry or unappetizing it is um, just got to get it in you Mm -hmm. Talking about food, are you the type of hiker to have like big meals, like three big meals or snack throughout the day? Yeah, I tend to do, I'll snack until lunch and then that'll be a bigger uh, meal with, you know, tortillas or something and try to make a sandwich or a wrap or something like that. And then snack to dinner and then, um, yeah, and then just eat I'm always like the last one awake in my tent, just with my bag of chips, just eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been, so I did a bunch of like bodybuilding and stuff before. And that was really helpful going to through hikes is like being able to eat a lot of food is actually a skill. And it mm -hmm. sounds kind of silly, but like that really is a skill and it's really yeah. important. And I think a lot of people, especially um, like on the AT something where, it's their first through hike and around mile 1, 1,500, they're just they're like, yeah, I'm tired all the time. I have no motivation. I don't want to do anything. I don't have, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're and then they're down 40 pounds. Like you're describing starvation. Like those are all the symptoms of starvation. And, and just being able to eat a lot of food has been really helpful for these hikes. Like I, it, I just don't care. Like I, I know I need calories, so I'll just stuff it in. And generally I'll, um, I'll still lose weight, but it's like 
one to two pounds a month range is what I'll lose. Nice. And nice. It, on the HE, I got I got fat at the end. I put on like eight or ten pounds of fat at the end because <laughs> I was just eating ice cream in every single town. And uh, yeah, I was, that was cold. Bad. You needed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has your diet changed between the different trails? Um, not really. I started the CDT with the intention of I'm gonna I'm gonna eat really healthy and it's you know I'm not gonna have any sugar and like that was gone in the first week. It's just <laughs> un untenable on the trails. Uh, yep. But I do, as I go on, I do try and eat more like nuts and trail mix and less just straight sugar. Mm -hmm. um, I think that does help a lot and try and get more fiber. And sometimes I'll try and carry just like a bag of kale out of town. I'm kind of known for carrying weird stuff out of town. Like one time I, I took a whole watermelon and I just put it like, like carved it out into a plastic bag and i just you know i didn't carry water for the first 10 miles i just carried my bag of watermelon and i was just <laughs> watermelon and then i'll take um, rotisserie chickens and debone them and carry those out and i don't like i'll eat those for two or three days and it's fine people think like that's crazy but i haven't got sick yet from that i was um, gonna say do they do they idea. stay good i guess they stay good good enough yeah i, I think it's i think it's all right <laughs> maybe <laughs> you know Probably yeah. two days would be a safe limit. Three is probably pushing it. But yeah, I'll try and I'll do like frozen chicken fingers, whatnot. So you, those make really good wraps. So just trying getting more real foods and um, good calories and proteins. I focus on that a lot in towns. And I think, you know, over the course of a six month hike that all the little stuff, decisions like that really adds up. Yeah. Uh, dine and is it Dine and Dash? Dine and Dash Hikes asked, what do you do with the, the I guess, the watermelon after you finish it? Oh, what did you do oh, with the... <laughs> oh, oh, what did you do with the monument yeah, one? Yeah, no. <laughs> so Dine and Dash, yeah, he was, uh, he was one of the, in the trail family at the CDT. And yeah, yeah, crushed the watermelon <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at, the wa at the monument. Um, I think that might be a thing now. I, I'm trying to figure out, like, all right, how am I going to get a watermelon at the PCT terminus. <laughs> <laughs> was that something yeah. like you had done before, or was that like first attempt? Like I'm just gonna do it. No, it was just at the. So this is not my idea either. It's just, <laughs> it was just at the hostel in Silver City, and I had like I really I like watermelons, so I had brought a watermelon into the hostel, and then one of our friends, Water Boy, he was just like, dude, crush that with crush that with your thighs like no i'm gonna eat this watermelon <laughs> he just went on about like, uh, you know crushing this watermelon and it became this joke and then we got a watermelon delivered at the southern terminus and um i didn't know if i could do it like i guess it i was googling it and it takes about 350 pounds of force to crush a watermelon um and it i don't know it crushed so <laughs> nice <laughs> uh what is what's leg beer Oh, that was the beer out of his, oh, out of his leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, and yep, also, yeah. yeah, shout out to Dinah Dash. He's doing the calendar year Triple Crown next year. Wow. Nice. And you're, yeah. and you're also doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Uh, when did you decide to do, when did you decide to do it? Um, so I had, yeah, kind of inklings on, I was originally going to do the Great Western Loop, and... I don't know when I really decided it was just kind of this thing that um, became more and more seemed more and more possible uh, towards the end of the hike. And then my, and I don't know why I decided calendar year triple instead of great Western loop. I think it maybe have been my PCT permit. I have a really late start date on that. 
Um, but yeah, just kind of, so I guess the, the, the overall reason to do those things is because after you, I have done a couple through hikes now and, um, like, so I, so I have the PCT left to finish my triple crown and I kind of like, I know I can, I can finish that trail and it doesn't give me the same kind of anxiety and nerves and, um, worries that, you know, when I was thinking about doing the AT, it was like, well, this seems crazy. Can I even complete it? And kind of going back on that personal development thing. Um, I think those are kind of the things you need for continued growth. So thinking about a calendar, your triple crown, like, uh, like I woke up, like just panicked <laughs> this morning thinking like, oh my God, like how, that's, how am I going to do this? And so like having that, those moments of panic and having nerves and being anxious and, you know, I don't know, there's probably a less than 50% chance that I can finish this thing. But I think that will lead to um, the kind of continued growth that I want. Mm -hmm. And like, it's going to force me, I need to be much more disciplined and um, do a lot of, yeah, things on trail where kind of other hikes and like, well, whatever, I'll take four days off in Silver City and um, party. And so uh, it's going to, I think it's going to be good in, in just my developing my discipline further and like mental fortitude and perseverance. And uh, yeah, let's, it's exciting too. Like, can you do this? insanely long hike yeah how late how late did you uh is your pct permit i think it's may 22nd oh that's late mm. yeah i need to see if i can get that changed yeah the four of us mine's um, march 7th mine's march <laughs> oh, wow. 18th yeah. march 18th march 18th yeah. yeah so we're gonna try and finagle our way into a better date if we can yeah yeah but. you don't want to wait it <laughs> wait yeah. out the CRS for a month. No. <laughs> nope. It looks like they're getting a lot of snow right now too, which is good, Yeah, I just but... saw they said like eight eight feet or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good for the mountains, but not but maybe yeah, I'll see you, maybe I'll see you guys out there. Yeah. yeah that'd be awesome. Yeah. So what is going to be your approach? Like yeah. what trail are you gonna start with? How are you gonna hop between them? Yeah, so I'm um looking at starting at Springer like uh, early February to mid February. I just have a bunch of crap I need to take care of here. Uh, so it just it depends on how quickly I can get that done and then hike that north, you know, for a month, month and a half, just depending on the really weather dependent. And then from there, hop over to New Mexico CDT, um, sometime in April, hike that. And then ideally I can get, uh, a early May permit on the PCT and then just blast through the PCT then hop over to the CDT sometime around, that'd probably be a July, August timeframe, hike that back down to New Mexico. And then that's probably, be, uh, hopefully, I, I wouldn't want to try and hit Katahdin, you know, any later than October 1. Um, but so, and then hop over there and hike that, hike that south. Yeah. And, but I guess on the AT, there's a lot of like low routes. And so if I wore slower. That's not as bad as like trying to get stuck in snow in Colorado. Yeah, yeah that'll be true. the really big crux is, you know, getting through Colorado. I feel like, I don't know, for me, like that's, if I can get through Colorado, then I'll feel like, okay, this is pretty possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, does just going through months and months of snow uh, make you nervous at all? Or are you ready to like tackle that? Yeah. And I think, if I time this right, I shouldn't have too much snow. That's the goal with all this jumping around. Like I was um, listening to Legend talk about his hike, and I don't understand how he got through 
the northern part of the 18th April. Like that sounds absolutely terrible. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He he, he like swam across the Kennebec and was post holing through Vermont and it was, oh, yeah, gosh. yeah. <laughs> finishing up his great western loop when that was when i got sick in chama new mexico and so like i didn't even register like what this guy was doing because i was like throwing up but uh but later on i was like did you know what that guy was doing he'd been hiking since april and he hasn't taken a zero and i think when we met him he had done that um there's like a famous traverse of 14ers in colorado and so he did like 10 14ers in like two days just wow. going blasting straight through us. So I'm not, I'm not on that level and I'm not going to try and <laughs> go through the snow. So <laughs> hopefully I'm not going to hit too much snow, but I think it's going to be another one of those things where, you know, I'm going to just try not to worry about it. And what, when it arrives, like we, uh, we have the capability to face it and um, I'll just problem solve it. And it, it always resolves. And <laughs> it ultimately, I like to say like, either I'll figure it out or I'll die. And either way, I won't have a problem anymore. <laughs> good attitude oh, yeah i like that <laughs> that's awesome cool well good luck with that yeah. that's that's very exciting yeah thanks yeah i'm pretty pretty excited for that um nervous but that's good yeah um oh there's another question about the calendar year never mind it evaded me <laughs> never mind um in your latest Instagram post, um, you talked about your intentions for being on social media. And I'm always like intrigued to know um, hikers and why they're on social media. And you said you like fall somewhere between um, like posting, everyone does it, but posting for narcissism and, and also insecurity, um, but that like you just enjoy sharing your adventures. Um, and my question is, what do you hope that um, your audience or your followers can take away from, I guess, quote unquote, how you influence them or how you try to? Yeah, and I think, so yeah, this is something I think about a lot. And ultimately, I think what I'm trying to accomplish is, so like going all the way back towards when I was um, really addicted to video games and you know, I've had um, gone through a lot of depression in my life. And during those periods, it was really helpful for me to hear stories about other people who overcame those things. And I was really being into like all the Tony Robbins and all those people for a while. And, um, you know, there's this, there's a, a point in people's lives where um, media like that is really helpful to just be able to know like other people have gone through this and you're not alone and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think so. And I wonder, like, sometimes I wonder, like, am I oversharing? Like, sometimes it feels like, am I just whining on social media and I'm just <laughs> oversharing? But uh, especially with healthy gamer stuff I've done, I've gotten emails. Um, like, there was this guy in Australia who said he was watching my videos and, like, it helped him get into fitness. And then he got into jujitsu and then he got into, um, you know, his uh, photography. And now he, like, was married and had a kid and, like, like my videos were influential in helping that change. And it's, I've gotten uh, quite a few um, messages and emails from people like that. And that, that to me, like, it feels really good. And I think that's ultimately because it's, I struggle with what is the point of life? Like, why are any of us here? What, why do any of this? And I think, you know, if there is any point then being able to help other people in that fashion is a really good um way to structure your life and a good way to live 
And uh, so that's, I think, is what I'm going for. It's, it's interesting on the PCT this year, I met a hiker, he's an Asian, uh, I think that, yeah, I don't know, an Asian guy, because there's not many Asians uh, on trail, and he had stopped me and he'd actually watched my videos, and I actually met him um, a while before on the, when I was doing a rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's you know talked to me. He like followed along, watched my videos. So you know those I think influenced him a little bit. So he was finishing up the northbound through hike. So obviously I'm not the only influence in that, but like I was able to be part of that and get him you know and influence him to uh, get out there and hike, and that's been really cool. And so like that's what I um, hope to do with social media posts is to just share with people like um, because I think that's important too is people that meet me now kind of like see like oh this guy he's hiked a bunch he runs ultras and whatever but i used to be a totally different person i was i would play world of warcraft like my roommate would come home i'd be playing he'd go to bed i'd be playing he'd wake up for class i'd still be playing and then i'd go to bed and like i would be so anxious that i couldn't go to the grocery store because i didn't want to talk to the cashier for that brief moment of interaction i'd just be locked up in my room and like that's who I used to be. And I had so much fear and anxiety. And like, I never thought I would be able to through hike um, any trail, much less go do a calendar year or anything like that. And so um, I think it's important to share that story and be like, this is, you know, anyone that does anything big, it's, they're all normal people. And it's just this prog- progressive steps. And you just like more and more realizing the power that you really have inside you. And um, I think if we can get, you know, more people to recognize their own power, um, the world, and just not live in fear, that's kind of, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling here, but that's kind of my no, whole no. thing. Is like, yeah, we're, you know, we're so bound by fear and anxiety and um, <clears throat> and, and all these, you know, things, but we, we really do have so much power within us. And so being able to put this stuff out on social media, I think, it can help uh, just inspire people to go after their own, you know, it doesn't have to be through hiking, but whatever it is to um, go after that and just know, like, uh, because the, those are the themes that are common to all of us. Like we all worry about things and we all uh, worry, have anxiety about these obstacles, but just as on a through hike, once you actually face them, it's never that bad mm-hmm. uh, or you die and you, it's not your problem, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's really never that bad. And, um, and it's just about, getting out there and doing it. And, um, and I, you know, I have to remind myself of that too. Like I came home from the trails and immediately got into my old habits of staying up late. And I just like fell into that post trail depression, like pretty quickly. And it's been this process of pulling myself out and like, I'm really happy to do this. Like this helped me to like wake up today, and, like go to the gym. So my mind would be awake and, you know, and there's like nerves, revolving around this thinking like am i gonna just sound like an idiot what do i have to say but but it's like you do it and and you figure it out and it's just this process of like just setting yourself up to go out there and do it yeah Um, for me it's like learning about being more vulnerable and just like owning up to who i am as a person and just like presenting myself like this is this is me this is who i am and i really feel like the trail taught me that like just being comfortable in and who I am, and that made me a lot more confident as a person. So yeah, yeah, that, that completely yeah. resonates. I understand. That's yeah, really yeah, cool. that, yeah, that was a really cool thing. After the AT, I realized like, oh, I'm so much more comfortable 
just being me and I don't have to put on these different masks. And I think that's, that's a really cool place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. What advice do you have for future through hikers? Um, yeah, probably that same thing. Like you're, I mean, you're going to worry. It's not helpful to say like, don't worry, but just <laughs> know that everything you worry about, you have the capability to face and overcome. Like all the worries about bears and hitchhiking and storms and like you'll face all of it and you'll learn that you have, um, you have the strength to, to overcome it and, and it'll all turn out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. As we're going into this like winter season and a lot of like mostly everyone's done with their through hikes for the year. Do you have any advice for how to deal with the post trail depression or whatever you have found useful? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you need to look at it from a couple of different angles. Um, just the pure physical side, I think, you know, your hormones are going to be off and that's just going to be how it is. And when your testosterone is low and your everything's out of whack, like you're just going to feel bad for a while. And that was um, how it was for a couple of weeks. It's like, there's nothing that I can do to make this better. Uh, all the stuff I was trying just wasn't helping. Like I just needed to sleep and rest and eat. But then um, as soon as you have the motivation and energy to cleaning up the diet helps tremendously. So like I came home and I immediately started back on an intermittent fasting um, kind of cycle. So I would just, I skip, you know, I wouldn't, essentially I would just eat one meal a day and I would try and eat like a salad in the afternoon. And I think, um, you know, just giving your digestive system time to kind of heal and repair and push all the junk out of there is really helpful. Mm -hmm. So like diet really is, I, every, after every through hike, there would be a point where I start to clean up my diet and they're like, Oh, I feel so much better. Like, well, duh, you know, what you eat really affects <laughs> how you feel. And then just um, getting exercise in, like I had all these grand plans of coming back, like, oh, I'm going to run, you know, 50 miles a week and just continue. And just, uh, I was going to run uh, this three-day race in uh, around New Year's and like a week in, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do any of that. Like I, the longest I've run is two miles in the last couple of weeks. And so just doing what you can, but that movement again is so helpful. Like today, yeah, I, I didn't feel like doing anything, but so I just went in and I did like upper body stuff, which is not um, as, I don't know, mentally a hurdle as trying to run or do, do anything. So that exercise is really helpful. Um, I do. So the things I'm focused on now is if I can meditate, if I can eat well, and if I can exercise, then that's been a successful day. Um, yeah. And, and then I've started trying to just journal. I think that's been a helpful habit to just really identify because that, that's my problem. I fall into all my old habits again. I like, you know, I come home and it's like, I'm a teenager, you know, playing video games again, it's just staying up late and um, all that. So that's, that's what I'm working on right now is because um, I'm not lazy and I'm not you know, like, I have all these tools but it's the strategy I'm using that's not working. So I just need to change my strategy. And, um, and, and I think the journaling is helpful for that. But yeah, and I, I would say like everyone, I, I would probably most people go through it and it's a, just a mix of hormones and your body recovering and then um, you needing to build up different habits. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay and it's impermanent and it will change. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, 
What advice do you have for Quadzilla, who's still out on the trail? Or I guess advice for him for next season um, on uh, just general advice for him or things not to take for granted? Hmm. I would say, you know, it's about the experience is about the people. So just reminding myself of that. Um, I've been getting better and better about you know, not focusing on miles or whatever and just focusing on it's the it's the people in the community that really makes the hikes worthwhile. And just, yeah, just remembering that everything is impermanent. So don't, not letting a bad day um, get me down. Because that's that's been interesting how on trail, it's always like you have a bunch of bad days and then it's something amazing. And like, if you had quit during the bad days, you would have missed this amazing thing. And that's, and I guess that's that's life too. It's just you know ups and downs, and that's the impermanence of it. So I yeah, that's just remember it's all impermanent. So um, enjoy the good times, and the bad times will pass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you want to let the through hiking community know, or or the people how they can keep up with you and and your calendar, your triple crown? Um, yeah, so probably yeah, Instagram is the best place. Just well, if they're watching, yeah, I guess if they're on listening on Spotify or something, um, uh, it's at Quadzilla Hikes. And then I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be taking a DSLR and um, posting up a bunch of videos and photos along the way. And I'm going to try out TikTok. I listened to the Tick and Talk and they kind of really inspired me. Like, that's crazy how mm-hmm. they blew up with that platform. Uh, yeah. So I'll give, give that a shot. Um, it's, yeah, it's just fun to document and take people along uh, with me. And then, yeah, with this year, I'm going to be doing um, raising awareness and funds for uh, veterans in fire and grassroots wildland firefighting uh, organizations. So last year, I worked as a, a wildland firefighter uh, on Sawtooth Hotshots. And, you know, it's incredibly um, dangerous work, incredibly physical work. And it's, it's just going to be a problem, you know, a growing problem. As you can see on the, you know, the PCT, like all the Southbounders had to get off trail because all of California was closed. And I expect that's what's going to happen probably every year from now on because the fires are just getting worse. And like um, the conditions are really crazy how um, like just one, it's uh, in the heat of the days out in the West when it's so dry and it's so hot, like there's nothing we can do to stop it. Um, you know, we've built line uh, for days and then and then we're trying to burn out and then the wind shifts and and it's just gone. Like there's just nothing we can do but to pull back and like um, and do it again. And that's, you know, that's how we're fighting fires is kind of crazy in the 21st century. We have all this technology, but uh, the primary way that we fight fires is we send crews in the forest to literally like you're standing there with like a, a hoe and I'm just digging line in the dirt and then you have your saw teams up there cutting um cutting and so yeah so i I saw you know i saw that um, last year and it's it's pretty crazy how low paid our firefighters are so i want to raise awareness for that and just Mm -hmm. in general like how threatened our public lands are by wildfires and how under-resourced our fire you know firefighting organizations are um and just like you know, so we, I was getting paid fourteen seventy five an hour to do that. And, you know, and you're, you're, you're breathing in tons of smoke. So you get a hacking cough by the middle of the season, you have a risk of, 
you know, trees falling on you, you have risk of getting burned with a wildfire. Um, there's like so many different risks out there. And like, uh, you know, they should be getting compensated fairly for that yeah. work. So that's, that's what I'm going to be doing with this hike is, um, you know, like raising awareness for, for firefighters and that we need to support them more. Yeah. yeah that's wow. great. Nice. Cool. Um, well, I, we really appreciate you coming on as our yeah. first guest of season two. It was, it was really nice talking to you. Yeah. You have such yeah, a badass life. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. Yeah, this is really fun. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Uh, hope to see you out on trail yeah. next year. Hope to see you on the PCT. Um, and good luck with good luck Everything. with the Triple Crown. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, that'd be really fun to see you guys out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, heck yeah. All right, we'll All talk right. soon. Yeah. All right, take care. All right, bye. bye. See you later. Did y'all enjoy the conversations with Quadzilla? If you want to know more about him, head over to his Instagram, which is at Quadzilla Hikes, and his YouTube, which is The Healthy Gamer. If you want to join in on future live chats, you can head over to our Instagram, which is at Let's Trek Together. We go live once a week, usually on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to get in contact with us, feel free to DM us on Instagram or send an email to letstrektogether at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love if you gave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume this episode. Until next time, guys. Let's, Let's trek, trek together. together.